Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. Got a couple of jokes I want to tell you. I, I try not to tell a bunch of preacher jokes because, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, you could call them dad jokes. That's kind of the new name for them now. But uh, my father-in-law is a preacher, and that's actually where a lot of my family is today. Um, they went to homecoming. I don't know if you grew up in like a, in a, a traditional church or whatever, but the uh, church where my father-in-law preached is now where my brother-in-law preaches. And that church merged with another church, and they're doing a homecoming today. And so my family went up to see them. It's where my wife grew up. But my father-in-law is an excellent, uh, I call him preacher joke or dad joke uh, teller. And my brother-in-law is really following his footsteps. But there's a few jokes that I really like, and I just want to share a couple of them with you really quick. All right? Everybody okay with that? All right. Um, well, the first one is this. There was this pirate who was uh, just, I mean, notorious, and he was just, he would attack every ship that came around as they sailed the seven seas and all that sort of stuff. And every time when some ships would appear on the horizon, he would say, bring me me red shirt. And they would all like, okay, and they'd bring him his red shirt, and they'd get into the battle, and, and he, they'd beat the, the people that they were attacking, all that kind of stuff. Well, after a few times of doing that, his crew said, uh, Captain, we don't understand. Why do you say, bring me your red shirt? And he said, because I want to be able to fight. And when I get stabbed and cut, I keep on because the blood blends in. And I keep on and I keep you men fighting. And they're like, oh, I like that. I like that. And so they were inspired. So they fought all the harder anytime. Bring me me red shirt. And they would fight and they fight. Well, one day they're out sailing around. And all of a sudden, the Spanish Armada comes up over the horizon. 150 ships are coming towards them. The captain looks out there and he says, bring me me brown pants. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Maybe that's not appropriate, but I'm not very appropriate. Anyway, um, here's another one that my, my kids loved. We had just heard from this uh, old guy at a restaurant. Old guy at a restaurant jokes are some of the best jokes that you'll hear if you can repeat them. But uh, this one is not too bad. But uh, these uh, two guys were a little bit intoxicated. They had a little bit of a night out one night, and they're walking their way home. They're kind of stumbling along, helping each other. And all of a sudden, as they're turning to go towards their house, they make a wrong turn, and they start walking down the railroad tracks. And they're walking along, walking along, walking along. Finally, one guy looks over at the other guy and says, man, I don't remember this many steps to my house, do you? And he said, steps? He said, it's the low handrails that are killing me. My boys love it. My boys love it. I know it's, it's bad, but it's, it's good. My boys love it. And Luke walked out, so he could have laughed. He would have not. That's not good. Anyway, I'll tell you one more. Um, I'll tell you this one more because I, this is uh, its funny to me because I'm a preacher. So uh, this preacher's out walking in the neighborhood one day, and he sees this little boy sitting beside a push lawnmower. You know, the old, old school pull the you know, cord start up kind of thing. And uh, he sees it, and he's like, well, you know, and it says for sale on it. And he's like, well, I need a lawnmower, and that'll be a good way to help out this little boy, get to know this little boy a little bit too. You know, he's trying to earn money. That's good. And so he says, son, how much for the lawnmower? And he says, $10, $10. He's like, wow, $10, that's a good deal. Here's $10. And he goes, he takes it home, and anyway, it doesn't work. Well, the next day he goes out, and he sees the same little boy sitting there that sold him the lawnmower, and he said, son, he said, I hate to tell you, he said, but you owe me money back because that lawnmower won't start. And he said, oh, sure it will. He said, you just have to cuss at it a little bit. And the preacher was like, I have not cussed in 30 years. That used to be something I struggle with, but I have not cussed in 30 years. There is no way. 
He said, well, pull on that hand a little bit. It'll come back to you. Now, see, that was better. That was a little bit better. I, that's why I don't tell preacher jokes because, you know, some people love them, some people hate them. But the reason I tell you the goofy little jokes is because we are talking about two of our values today, laughter and family. And we, we actually do laugh a lot because I don't tell those kind of jokes, hopefully, most of the time. But I, I try to get people laughing, and we try to laugh together. When we're just hanging out, it's important to laugh. And some people say, why would you talk about laughter in, in church or in a, in a relationship? Relationship with Christ aspect. And here's why. The scripture says this. It says in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A joyful heart. And some translations would say laughter does good like a medicine because a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Because what happens is when we start to laugh and we spend time enjoying life together, it just helps our spirits, right? I mean, what's made these past two years so difficult is because we haven't had as much human interaction and therefore we haven't had time to really laugh together. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 4 says, A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. You see, there's a time for everything. There is a time to cry, a time to weep. There's a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and there's a time to dance. We talk about laughter here because it's important. And some people would say, they'd sort of push back and they would say, well, you know, it, it's silly to talk about laughter. And depending on what kind of, if you grew up in church or, you know, you might have grown up in a more, uh, you know, like sort of, this only word I can think of right now, but stodgy, like sort of stiff church. And, you know, you stood up at a certain time, you know, and, you know, you sat down at a certain time and you dare not laugh or your mom would smack you in the back of the head. Anybody, anybody grew up in that? Only me? Okay. All right. So anyway, um, but, you know, there wasn't a lot of laughter, I remember. And the, the sad thing is, is it struck me is that you'd be walking out and you would look around and everybody's standing around and they were laughing and they were talking and they were enjoying each other's company. But when they go inside, you know, they sit there and God is so good. He's so good. He's so good. <laughs> I'm not dogging the style of worship. I'm dogging do we believe what we sing and what we say. That's what we want to answer. And so it, it was like, man, people laugh out here. They don't laugh in here. And, and it goes back into it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to explain the, the ideology or the theology behind it. But a lot of times we've sort of taken an old covenant, an Old Testament view of how we relate to God. And we say God's in the building. And so when we go into the building, we act one way. And when we go out of the building, we act another way. And it's all cool. But there's a huge big red flag flaw right there. Because God doesn't dwell in houses made by hands anymore. He dwells in us, the church. And where we go is where the church is. And so if you want to act one way in the presence of God and another way when you're out of the presence of God, there's a big flaw with that. Because if you're a Christian, you're never out of the presence of God. And so we've got to get that in our minds. We've got to get this idea that we are always in the presence of God. We can't compartmentalize our faith and say this is appropriate here and this is appropriate there. Um, yeah, I mean, some things are just inappropriate. Uh, I was in youth ministry for a long time, and one of the things that I heard kids say all the time 
was, um, I can't listen to this particular song or they get in trouble, they thought, because they were listening to this particular, you know, singer, rapper, whatever band, because, well, we're on a church trip. I can listen to it other times, and I'm like, okay, hold up now, you got to think for a second. If it's not good for you to listen on a church trip, is it really good for you to listen to it all? You know? And I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm not saying, you know, this is okay and this isn't. I'm not talking about that. But if you feel guilty because you're around people who are supposed to be following Jesus and you are too, then maybe you shouldn't be doing it all. And there's something to be said for that. There's some things that are appropriate never and some things that are appropriate all the time. It's okay, I believe, to laugh together. And it's funny to me is that um, it's, it's difficult sometimes to wrap our minds around that, but we put God in a box and if we do that, y'all, we've missed the message of the cross. Because the message of the cross is that Jesus died for everybody, but he died for every sin and every part of your life. And that what you do when you become a Christian is you give up your entire life to take on his life. Because if any part of your life is still alive and kicking and living, then it's got to face judgment without Jesus. And so the thing is, we've got to die to ourselves and let Jesus live through us. Every part of our lives is in his presence, and nothing is hidden from him. So here's what we've got to do. Allow God to redeem every part of our life and use it to glorify him. But let me tell you this. We don't talk about laughter so that we can just ignore life and, and laugh like idiots. <laughs> And that's not what we're doing. We're not just saying, oh, we're going to laugh and act like nothing's wrong. Um, because there have been churches that have struggled with that. And, and all of us can struggle with that. Where it's like, I'm going to put on a funny face. I'm going to put on a brave face. A lot of us use humor to cover up, you know, pain inside. I mean, most comedians who are really successful have messed up lives because they use their humor to do what? To hide, you know. I mean, Robin Williams comes to mind. It breaks our hearts, you know. Because he always on the, on the outside was funny, 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 but on the inside he was hurting. And there's a lot of comedians like that. So we're not talking about that. What we're talking about is this. It's about finding joy and happiness in life with Christ and through Christ. It's about living life together to help each other when life is good and when life is hard. And here's where we're getting to the key. Everybody listen to this. It's going to be on the screen. If you, will, if you laugh with me enough, you'll learn to mourn with me. It's about getting deeper than surface relationships. All right? Everybody, everybody read that again? If you laugh with me enough, you'll learn to mourn with me. It's about getting deeper than surface relationships. That's why we talk about laughter here as a value at movement. Is because when you laugh together, it breaks down walls, doesn't it? How many of you have a specific memory of a friend or a family member of when you just laughed so hard, you cried, and maybe even, you know, use the bathroom a little bit? You, have a you might have a specific memories with family or friends like that. It's like when you think of that friend, you eventually your mind goes there. That time you just laughed and laughed and laughed and cried. What did it do? It connected you. It bonded you for years now maybe even, right? Am I right? Y'all out there? Yeah. It bonds you and it connects you. And so what we want to do is we want that to happen here because we don't exist to just be an organism, an organization. We want to be a living, moving body of Christ. We want to be a family. That's why we talk about laughter and family together. We want to build relationships that allow us to laugh together so that when life gets tough, and does it? 
when life gets tough, we can mourn with each other. Because one of the worst things to have in life is to go through difficulties and feel like you're what? All alone. That nobody understands, nobody cares. And I'll be really honest, if you come to a church building and you meet with, with church people every week for you know an hour or so and you just look at the back of people's heads and you never spend time talking and laughing and getting to know one another, when those lonely times come, those difficult times come, you will feel alone and you will mourn by yourself. And we're not made to mourn by ourselves. We're made to laugh with others and we're made to mourn with other people. We need people to hold us up and be our source of strength when we can't stand on our own. And it's a whole lot easier to get that when you learn to laugh with one another. And you learn to spend time breaking bread, so to speak, meeting around a table with people and spending time with people. Because why? Because it's about becoming family. It's about becoming family. It's about being there for each other and getting deeper than the surface. You know, when we think about family, the modern day idea is sort of like this. Parents doing everything for their kids. Am I wrong? Isn't that sort of the pervasive thing? Is that that's the pervasive idea of our culture? Is that the idea that comes into most people's brains when you think about family now is that I want my kids to have everything that I what? I didn't have. And and that's been that's a tale as old as time. You know, that's you know, that's been around forever. It's been around forever, but it's really strong now. I would say even in our culture now, we sort of almost have child worship. You know, we almost worship our kids, and people will neglect their spouse, their relationship, so that they can make sure their kids are treated like little, you know, kings and queens. And what happens is, is that really turns kids into little jerks, <laughs> and that makes it hard for them to relate to other people. And so what we got to do is this. we got to understand what family really is. It's not just about parents doing everything for their kids. Older families sort of were forced to have a different dynamic. Now, everything wasn't perfect. Don't get me wrong. You know, there were older families that were very dysfunctional. But I know a family, um, this guy, in the grand scheme of things, was not that old. You know, he passed away just a few years ago when he was in his mid-60s. It wasn't like he, you know, was 120 years old. But he was in a family, one of 22 kids. 22. Like I said, this wasn't 1880. This was like, you know, in the 40s, 50s, something like that, you know, when he was born and some of the kids were born. 22 people in the family. And it was, it was two moms. You know, one mother passed away and then got remarried. But it was like, I said, how many kids did you have at one time in the house? He said, the most I remember in the house was 18 kids at one time in the house. Yeah, yeah. Crazy, crazy, and, and see, they were they were farmers, you know, and so you know, I don't think they had kids. I, I'd have bought a tractor; it'd have been a whole lot cheaper than having you know another dozen kids. I don't think it was that's why they had kids, but they had a farm, and so there was something for every kid to do as soon as they were able. And so they jumped in and they worked. And he, he said they even took in cousins. It wasn't just the family, the eighteen. So they had eighteen, then they brought in a couple more. Oh, there's room for more. I mean, when you got twenty. What's two more? I mean, for real. Um, Jim Gaffigan said, going from having uh, three kids to four kids is like you're drowning and somebody hands you a baby. 
And I'm like, yep, amen, that's the truth. You know, but I guess when you got 20, it's like, oh, whatever. You know, you can actually, you know, the babies will suck all the water out and you don't drown anymore. <laughs> that's what it is. But here's the thing. Here's why I say that. Because back then, or at least in a situation like that, there wasn't any room for kids to be the, the center of attention all the time in an unhealthy way. Everybody had to pull their weight or it was noticeable, right? Now, granted, you know, a five-year-old can't do the same thing as a 16-year-old, but there's something that the five-year-old can do. They can fill a need. They can do a job. They can help carry some weight for the family. And here's the reason I say this is because that's the way a family's supposed to be. Everybody pitching in and doing their part. Each person's contribution isn't the same but we strive to reach our current potential and keep growing. And if you don't, the family suffers. And I think a lot of you know where we're going with this. So the question is this. Why is it important? Why is it important to get deeper and become family? Well, here's an example from Israel, Israel's history. In Judges chapter 2, Judges chapter 2 beginning in verse 2. It says, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, that is the other nations, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. And skip down to verse 10 in Judges 2. And it says, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. That means they died. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Evidently, the Israelites were not following one of the big commands that God had given them. God had told them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he said these words, verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land of which you are going over. This is the land that they're in in Judges, right? In the promised land. He says the land that you're going over, to which you're going over to possess it. Verse 2. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. All right, everybody with me? So it's a lot of reading, right? It's a lot of reading. But he's saying... Before the end of the promised land, he says, remember these things, these commands, these things I've told you, and it'll go well. You will prosper and everything will go well. And so that's understood that if you don't, what? Bad things are going to happen. All right, it goes on in verse 4. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. All right, now here's where it gets really, really important. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk 
of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What was God saying through Moses at that point? He said, talk about the goodness and the faithfulness of God and his word when? All the time. Always. Every chance you get when you're walking along the road, when you sit in your house, when you get up in the morning, when you lay down at night. Talk about it with your families, with your children. And what happens in Judges? We just read a few moments ago. It says that there was a generation that did not know about the goodness and the faithfulness of God. So what does that mean? That they were not doing what God commanded them what? Deuteronomy 6. You and I need to be family and we need to get to know one another because it matters. Because in simply less than a generation, because things happen so much quicker now. In less than a generation, we can be a people and our kids won't know the goodness of God. We've got to do what we can to build our family stronger so that people will know and it, we won't forget. Because here's why it's so important. Here's why it's so important. If we're going to be a faithful family in Jesus, then we've got to spend time together talking about God and his faithfulness constantly. I'm going to ask you a question. Why isn't gathering with our church family once a week or once a month or once every couple of months enough? Because like the Israelites, you and I are a people of forgetfulness. I mean, I, I can forget what I walked into the room to do. But I can absolutely also forget how good God is when life gets tough. And I am sorry to bang a drum over and over again, and I'm sorry to beat a dead horse, but it's just reality. The past two years have been hard on all of us in varying degrees. And it has been supremely easy for us to forget how good and faithful God is. When the giants are surrounding you, and the rain won't fall, or too much rain falls, it's easy to forget how good and faithful God is if you are alone by yourself, in your thoughts, in your head, in your own little echo chamber. If you don't have relationships, it's easy to forget how good and faithful God is. And instead of saying, oh God, help me, deliver me like you always have, you say, God, why are you doing this to me? If you're so good, do something. I'm not acting right now. I've, I've felt that. I didn't expect that to come out like that. <laughs> but I've asked the same question, and I know you have too. Don't lie. If you haven't asked it over the past two years, you've asked it sometime in your life. And every time that I've asked those questions, it's because even though I may have been in a crowd of people, I had distanced myself, and I had shut myself off, and I was not building those relationships and I wasn't experiencing the family and I'm telling y'all something can I can I just tell y'all something really honest there were people multiple multiple people 
who came up to me in times like December of 2019, January, February, early March of 2020, and they would just say things randomly like, this church has helped change my life. I've experienced real family and real community like never before. I've experienced a church that loves the truth and loves people well. I, I, someone said, this church loves people better than any other church I've ever seen been a part of. And when you're, you know, you're a preacher or, or you go to a church, it's like, man, that's awesome. I mean, it's like, you know, that is so cool. And then some of them I haven't seen since March 2020. I'm just being real. Now, some of them I know where they are. Some of them are watching online. Some of them have health issues, and certain, but there's a lot that they're, they're not. And there's a lot that aren't going to any other church. And I've asked the question, and because I try to be an honest person and I try to be realistic, I say, well, what have we done wrong? You know, and sure, I'm sure we did. I'm sure we did do some things wrong. I'm sure we dropped the ball in some cases. But most of the time, I look at the scenarios and I say, well, we did this, we did this, and we prayed, and we you know, reached out, and we did all this sort of stuff. And so I notice is that we haven't really changed for the negative what we've been doing, but their view of the church has changed. So the question is, who changed? And this might be hard to hear, and it might seem negative or bad, but that's why it's important that we are family and we stay connected. Because really quickly we forget how good and faithful God is, and when life gets tough, we point fingers at God and we get angry. And so we, the first people that we push away are the people, the family of God, because they're the ones who are going to annoy us and try to pull us back. And so they are the visible face of God, so we get angry, we push them away. So what we need to do is this. We need to remember what we said in our God Has a Name series. We become like what we worship. And if all we do is we forget and we struggle and we look at our troubles and we, we don't celebrate God's faithfulness, what we devote our time to is what we worship. And if what we devote our time to is worrying about our problems and worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow and next week of the year after, then what happens is, is that I'm worshiping and you're worshiping yourself at best. Or you're worshiping your comfort. And that's what you're putting up as God. And what is happening is you're taking your eyes off of Yahweh, off of Jesus. And when that happens, you distance yourself and you get angry and you get bitter and you get isolated. So we need a family to spend time together with on a regular basis, all pulling in the same direction, laughing together, mourning together, living together to help us fix our eyes on Jesus, like it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Because here's the truth. A healthy family constantly points one another back to Jesus. Because you're going to get discouraged you're going to get beat down you're going to get angry and you're going to question but you need to be in community with people with a family who's going to say i know it sucks right now i'm sorry but that's i just gotta say that <laughs> i know life stinks right now but god is still good remember back a year ago remember back two thousand years ago remember back a few months ago god is still good here one of the coolest things i ever remember seeing 
It was a couple years ago, and I don't know if it was March Madness or whatever, but there's this iconic scene of where this guy misses these free throws that would have won them the game in a college basketball game. He shoots the free throws, they rim out, they lose the game, and his uh, teammate comes up beside him. The guy's got his head hanging down like this. He comes up beside him, he puts his hand on his chin, and he lifts his head. If you're not in community with family as, as a church, you're not going to have somebody to lift your head. You're not going to have somebody to pick you up when you're down. And so a healthy family constantly points one another back to Jesus. So what makes us family and not just roommates? You know, because you can live in the same house with people and just be roommates. So what makes us family and not just roommates? Well, here at Movement, we call it being all in. We call it being all in. We call it being mission partners. Because what we think about is this. A lot of churches talk about being members of a church. And members is fine. That's fine. It's not bad. It's not evil. It's not wrong. It's not wicked. But I don't know about y'all, but with me and a lot of other people, when you say members, it kind of has this idea of, you know, mm, country club. And, you know, like, you know, I got a crooked pinky because I dislocated it, but, you know, holding up tea, you know, your pinky while you drink tea. That's kind of what it brings to my mind. But it brings about this idea of membership has its privileges. And it's about you serve me and I'm going to sit back and relax. And that's not the attitude that we see in Scripture about the church and the body of Christ. What we see about the attitude of Scripture and the body of Christ and the church is why we decided to call it, instead of members, we call it mission partners. And that's based on Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. It says this, Paul writes to the church at Philippi, and he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I love how I believe the NIV says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for all of you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He said, I thank God every time I remember you and I pray with joy when I think of you because of your partnership in the gospel mission from the first day until now. The mission of helping the world know the gospel. And so that's why we talk about being mission partners. And so I ask you this question. Are you a member or are you a partner? Do you have the attitude of I need people to serve me or do I take the attitude of I'm a partner and I'm going to go look and see who I can serve? That's what we want to ask, and that's what we want to challenge ourselves with every day. And you might be newer on the side, but I want you to be thinking in those terms. Am I going to be a member of a church, or am I going to be a mission partner for the gospel? Because if we want to fulfill the mission and the vision of Jesus, as we describe it here at Movement, we describe it like this. Our mission is we love, serve, and move. Very simple. We love God and others. We want to serve the church and the world, and we want to keep moving and growing closer to Jesus every single day. We're going to stumble and fall, but we get back up and we keep going. And you need people to pull you up out of the mud pit when you stumble in the mud. And we do that together. And our vision is this. We keep moving until the neighborhood knows Jesus. Until the neighborhood knows Jesus by making disciples and multiplying churches. And guess what the neighborhood is? The world. It's not just our zip code. It's not just next door. It's the entire world. So we're going to keep moving and growing and following Jesus. And when we stumble, we get up and we keep charging after him and fixing our eyes on him until Jesus comes back or until the whole world knows Jesus. That's our goal. That's our vision for loving and serving and moving every day. So if we want to fulfill that mission and that vision, it will not take members. 
or bystanders, but it's going to take partners in the mission. Y'all with me? That's what it's going to take. And so here's how we describe more specifically a a mission partner. Uh, A mission partner, he's going to be on the screen. A mission partner is someone who has been immersed into Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit follows Jesus as Lord and Savior, and is moving closer to God. This is someone who understands and is adopting our vision, mission, and values and belief as we see in Scripture. I mean, that's an understood thing, I hope. I hope you all understand that. All right, but here's the next thing. It's going to be somebody who loves. Do you love? And I want you to think about yourself. Love God and love others. And one of the ways that we do that is regularly attending Sunday mornings together because we want to love God and we want to worship Him and we do that together best as a church. Seek to move closer to God and live in such a way to help others move closer to God. We're not looking for perfect attendance. That's not what we're talking about. Just a commitment to spend time with the family. We want to grow closer together. We cannot do it alone. Isolation turns us bitter. We cannot do it. What's the next thing? We serve We serve the church family and the community. We serve in a ministry on a team and participate in service to the community on a regular basis because we believe that we should be like Jesus who did not come to be served but who came to serve and gave his life as a ransom for many. You've heard me say it even recently, but I I have to tell you, there was a a lady who came to our church a a few years ago, and uh, she invited her cousin, and her cousin hadn't been to church in years, and she said, well, I don't have very nice clothes. I can't come to church. And she said, oh, you don't have to dress up at our church. She said, they might put you to work the first Sunday, but you don't have to dress up. I was like, you ain't, you ain't lying, because we believe in serving one another. We believe in serving this world. If we want to be like Jesus, we're going to serve. Look at the next thing. We move. I, I'm beating a dead horse, but I want us to get this. We move closer to God and help others do the same, always seeking to grow and mature. That's what we mean when we say move, always seeking to grow and mature. It's progress, not perfection. Everybody hear that? progress not perfection we're not looking for perfect people because if there were perfect people jesus didn't have to die but it's progress not perfection when you get knocked down you get back up you seek to live a life that looks more like jesus every day and follow the leading of the spirit and hey everybody pause real quick for just a second here this is why family is so important because if you are trying to do this alone you will not move in the right direction You will not move in the right direction. You need, I need each other to lift one another up. To lift one another up to make sure we keep moving in the same direction. Because you will stumble. You will fall. You might stumble as soon as you leave here. You might be stumbling right now. But you get back up and you keep running towards Jesus. Like a crazy person. You move. All right, let's look at the next one. We connect. We connect in what we call connect groups. It's small group Bible studies. So we want people to be involved in some sort of relationship with other people throughout the week where you study the Bible, you explore the possibility, maybe even leading one or hosting one, but you spend time together in God's Word, laughing together, mourning together, getting to know one another. Look at the next one. Invest. Practice generosity. We, We grow to become more like God by sharing the blessings that God has given us to manage. If, if we hold on to our finances and we can't trust God enough in that, that's going to keep us from ever experiencing all the good things that God has. 
the biblical tithe is, is what people hear 10% a lot, and that's not a command. It's a good place to start. It's a good target maybe for some of you. It's a good place to start if you're able. But here's the thing. The most important aspect is this, regular, cheerful giving to move God's kingdom forward. That's what God calls us to do, is to give sacrificially, give joyfully, give cheerfully, because we want to see people come to know Jesus. And look at the next one. Invite. Invite your friends. Invite your friends to move closer to God. And this is one of the most vital parts of being a follower of Jesus. Sharing the good news of Jesus with someone else is what we are called to do. It may start as an invitation to a group or Sunday morning or an outreach event, but will hopefully move to leading someone to follow Jesus with their whole life. That's our goal, is to try to win people to Jesus. That's why we exist. That's why we were saved, so that we can help other people be saved. And it might be terrifying to you to think about this one especially. Some of you are terrified about the giving part. <laughs> but some of you are terrified by this part. And I'm here to tell you, it's not standing up and doing what I'm doing. We're not asking you to do that. But it is saying, how you doing today? How's life been? And see where the Lord leads at. Putting your arm around people, loving people, learning to laugh together and learning to mourn together so that people can understand the light in you and they get some of that light in them. And they can get to know who Jesus is. But here's the thing. That's why we call, talk about being a mission partner. So I want to ask you, is that what your life looks like? Is that what your life looks like? Or does that look like the direction that you're heading? Because you might look at that, and then I look at that, and I'm like, I don't do all that all the time the way I'm supposed to. And that's okay. But is that the direction of your life? Is that the way you're heading? Is that your goal? Is that your intention? To be a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ? Because that's really all this is. It's just a way of describing what a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ is. And that's what we're called to be in God's Word. We're not looking for perfect people, as we've said. They don't exist. But we're looking for people who are chasing more after God every day. And want God to accomplish world-changing, His world-changing mission to help the neighborhood know Jesus. And so, if you want to be a, a part of something bigger than yourself, if you want to be part of a family that helps one another when they stumble, we invite you to go all in. We invite you to go all in. If you want to be a part of something that's changing lives, when, if you want to be a part of a family that helps one another when they stumble, when their burdens are heavy, who will laugh with you and who will mourn with you, then be all in. That gives until it hurts and serves when it's tough, but loves fiercely. Then go all in. You know one of the best examples that we see in Scripture of the church being all in? It's right there in the beginning of the church. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, what's happened is that the day of Pentecost has come and it says that when Peter preached the gospel message and all the other apostles were standing up there, it says that he preached and he told the people that they had crucified Jesus that, you know, it was bad news. And it says that he told them to repent and be baptized. And 3,000 people were baptized into Jesus Christ that very first day for the forgiveness of their sins and to receive the Holy Spirit. They listened to the apostles' gospel and they repented and were baptized. And they all, what? Jumped all in. I'm not talking specifically about the baptistry, but yeah, they did, right? 
3,000 jumped all in. But they jumped all into the church, into faith, into following Jesus. And, but they jumped all into discipleship, to family, to giving, to loving God, to serving, to moving, and so much more. And then you see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the end of the chapter there. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. Let's go on. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that crazy to think about? That daily, 3,000 people were baptized the very first time the gospel was preached. And then day by day, people were being saved, added to the church by God. And it's crazy. Imagine every day getting the word, hey, if you can come out, we're going to baptize somebody today. And oh, two more, three more. And then the next day, like, oh, hey, if y'all can get together, we're going to baptize this person into Christ. Can you imagine every day getting that call? Every single day. Some of you think like me. And you would call yourself a realist, but sometimes you're a skeptic. And you would say, why don't we have that kind of stuff now? What's wrong with my church? And the truth is, is that it, you wouldn't just be talking about movement church necessarily. You'd be talking about any church that you probably go in for the most part. Why aren't we seeing stuff like that happen every day? And that's a fair question. Why aren't we seeing more of that stuff? But here's what I want you to think about. If we want to see more Acts 2.47 type results... Maybe we should devote ourselves to more Acts 2.42 through 46 stuff. Maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we need to be devoted to being a family together, sacrificing, giving, sharing, loving one another, doing whatever God calls us to do, and being the people that he's called us to be. It's time to be family. It's time to be all in. We need more mission partners in the family here at Movement. And I want to invite you to consider doing that. We need people to help us see how we're progressing towards our goal of being on mission. And, and so what we've done is uh, we've shared with you in our Connect card, there's a little QR code down here. And each week we're going to share some information that helps you see how we're progressing towards that goal of, of winning more people, of how we give and how we serve and how we love and how we move. And we want to encourage you to look at these things each week and say, hey, how can I help be a part of that? Or who can I bring along and invite? Who can I help share the gospel with? And we want you to share that. If you don't want a QR code is, it's one of the coolest inventions that there is, is you just open your camera phone, hold it up there, hover over that little QR code. In a second, a link will pop up. You tap it, it'll take you right to that page. And we want to encourage you to check that out. But we want you to pray about being a mission partner about being all in, about how much you give and how much you serve and how much you love and how much you move. And over these next two weeks, today and next Sunday especially, we're going to really think about and challenge you to consider being a mission partner here at Movement Church. We want to challenge you to say, I am all in. And here's what I want you to hear. Over the last couple of years, honestly, like everybody, we kind of went in survival mode and we didn't talk about mission partners a whole lot. 
we ran with who we had, who was saying they were a mission partner. And, and some of those, you know, you might not even consider yourself a mission partner anymore. You might wonder, am I? And you might say, well, I am, and they ought to know that. But we want everybody to, to kind of re-up and say, I'm all in. I'm still all in. I was all in back then, or I'm all in for the first time, or I want to learn what it means to truly be all in. And we want to challenge everybody over these next couple of weeks. You can do it a couple of ways. You can write it on a Connect card. You can grab a paper one and put it in an offering box. You can fill it out online on that little link I told you about. You can, on a Connect card in there, you can just write, I'm all in. Or if you just want to say, I want to know more about being all in. I need to know. Maybe you've never been baptized into Christ. And that's the part. We say that first because until you're added to the body of Christ, you can't be a part of any local church, really. You can get to know people. But you got to be a part of Jesus' body. And so we want you to have your old life be done and your new life begun. And so maybe that's your first step. Or maybe you need to come back and you've walked away from your faith. And you say, I need to truly be all in in every aspect and I need to repent. Whatever it is, let us know. We want to help you. Just seek out somebody if you just want to talk to somebody. We're here for you on that. I'm going to be standing over to the side for a few moments while we sing. And if you want to talk, and I'll, I'll help you and I'll get you connected with somebody who can take you on and explain a little bit better. But the question is this. Are you a member? Or are you a partner? Are you a giver? Or are you a taker? Are you a builder or are you a barrier? We want to encourage you to be all in. Laughing, mourning, bearing one another's burdens. And to be the family of Jesus that we're called to be. Because we value laughter and family instead of bitterness and isolation. If you've been missing family in your life, family that cares about you enough to pick you up and dust you off and say like Jesus said, go and sin no more, but come along with me. I've struggled too. If you want that, if you want somebody that's going to help you when times are tough and they're going to celebrate with you when times are good, if you want to truly experience life the way God intended, then it's time to be all in with Jesus. And I'll say with our church body here at Movement, it's time to be all in you got to answer the question for yourself. I can't answer it for you. Only you can between you and God. But are, all, are you all in? Let's stand the same. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android.